0: Welcome to the podcast arm of Reformed Presbyterian Church of Beaumont, Texas. We are located at 4210 Crow Road in Beaumont, and you can find us on the web at rpcbmt.org. Today we undertake Acts chapter 2. We've had some delay, but we are now going to try and play catch-up on all of our audio. We deal with Acts chapter 2 and that famous passage on the day of Pentecost. Today we're looking at the necessity and the event of the Spirit's coming on the day of Pentecost. And now we turn to a very daunting chapter to attempt to preach. You all know this chapter. You probably have large portions of it memorized, even if you've never attempted to. Uh, You especially have the verses we're dealing with uh, tonight memorized. And so Hebrews 11, which is one of the, you don't, it's not, you don't want to pick favorite chapters in the Bible, uh, though there are those who do. Derek Thomas says Romans 8 is the most sublime chapter in all the Bible. That's his favorite. He's written a book about that chapter. Um, And and I've heard him preach on that chapter several times. Um, Just a few verses here and there, but making his way all the way through. Well, I think for those who need encouragement, Hebrews 11 is one of the chapters that we should cling to. Remember, as we come to chapter 11, the author is writing to those who... Well, who are being distressed. They are being persecuted. They are tempted to turn back to a way now that would be easy to them, what they've known, the types and shadows of the ceremonial, in order to avoid persecution. And now He's saying to them, no, no, go forward in faith. Do not turn back. And as we will look at it, we will, we will see what he does with this chapter. We're only taking the first three verses uh, tonight, uh, but we'll make our way through this in about two and a half years. I've got mapped out for chapter 11. And so, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it... The men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we... We are at a loss to try and fathom all that you have for us in your Son. That there are things which the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard. That you have waiting for us because by your grace you have given to us faith that we might receive and rest in and have hope in the things which are unseen to us. And so, Lord, we pray as we begin to take a look at this chapter, as these verses are set before us, that You will give to us a good understanding and a full measure of faith, which receives with the open hand all Your promises to us, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Faith is one of those things that uh, if we asked 15 different people to write down a definition, we'd probably get 21 different answers. Right? It's, it's one of those things that you, you understand it you, you boil it down, and, and we all come to the same, same basic understanding when we're talking about certain aspects of faith, that it just means trust, belief. Um, but faith is larger than that. We speak of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Well, then we're encompassing all that the Scripture has, all that the Bible sets before us, um, And as you read these verses, you've read them hundreds of times. And quite honestly, they're not a satisfactory definition of faith. You read them and you go, now wait, what? What exactly is being said here? Well, here's why. I'm going to set your minds at ease, because if you've read this like I have and you have went... Well, the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. You read another translation. The substance, you come to another translation. Right? You, you do that. Well, he's not defining faith. He's describing it. And there's a difference. And we'll take a little bit of that on uh, tonight. We, we understand that most of the time when we talk about faith, we want to just say it's trust, and that's right. But here, he's describing faith, and he's going to describe it in these verses so that we might take hold of it, and we might be those who don't turn back. And then he's going to describe it in the life of, well, all those who are coming, right? In that whole list... We call it the hall of faith. We call it all sorts of things. It's the great cloud of witnesses that's being referred to in chapter 12. Those who have gone before us in the faith, who have had faith, right? Well, he's describing it. And he's going to set it out in their life in order that we might not turn back as well. Remember, he's been giving them every conceivable encouragement to go on in the Christian life. Um, the, the, those who would persecute them would, would say, "No, Christ is not better." Look. look, we, we have these symbols, we have these uh, things that we do. it's tangible. You can see what God has said he's going to do. You lay your hands on the head and your sins are transferred. And you cut his throat and you put him on the altar. And he's burnt up, and you understand that by this action, your sins are burnt up. That animal is bearing your wrath, right? But he says, no, 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 that's not the way faith operates. It doesn't hold on to what is visible. They are looking at it wrongly. They should have always been looking through it to the substance. A shadow falls, you're... You're standing there looking down at your feet, reading a book or probably on your phone, and, and a shadow approaches. You don't start talking to the shadow. You look up to see the substance. Well, so it is. They were saying, look back to these shadows. And now he's encouraging them. Look up to the substance. Christ has come. And though you don't see him now, right? He's ascended. But though you don't see Him, the truth is here. The substance has come. And so He's been telling them. He's been telling them these things that, that would, would keep them going instead of them turning back and drawing back. Um, and He's saying that if you go on in the Christian life, you've got this great family of faith. And before you know that, before you take a look at that, you need to know what faith is is like. And so he's not giving a scientific definition. Um, This isn't a theologically precise definition. It's not exhaustive. Uh, He's not saying everything that can be said about faith. Right? It doesn't mention Jesus. It doesn't mention resting in Him. He's, He's giving you an encompassing description of what it is. So he tells us, Uh, This is how faith works. This is what we see in the, if you want to call them heroes, or fathers, or forerunners, whatever you want to call them. This is what you see in their life of faith. This is what we see as they exercise faith. And and it's as if he's saying uh, this to us, that there are certain things, certain characteristics in their life, in their walk of faith, and if you're in the faith, you will see them as characteristics of your faith, of your walk. And so he's setting us up for that. And so as we look at these verses, we're going to see three things, really, in these three verses. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in the description of faith. That's the first thing. And then you're going to see the fellowship of faith. Uh, we're going to only talk about it briefly because you're going to get a lot of it in the coming weeks as you look through the rest of these verses of chapter 11. The fellowship of faith and then the context of faith. So, the description, the fellowship, and the context. What's the description that he gives us? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen you can sum up that by saying that faith holds on to the promises of God and not all of those promises may be fully realized in your lifetime right you're going to read that as you look at these men. You, you get to the verse, uh, these men and women, these boys and girls, all of these people. You get to verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. But they held on to them. They believed them. Right? Not all of them will be fully realized in our lives, in our time frame. In, in the history uh, in which we are walking, God's promises do not fall flat. And so our heroes, our forebearers, our forerunners, our fathers and mothers in the faith, they held on to the promises even though they weren't yet realized in their lives. And as they did, they came to the assurance and conviction that these things uh, were that were not yet fulfilled as far as they were concerned, were as good as fulfilled. Abraham was promised the son. And the more he walked with God, well, the more he had to grow in the conviction that God's going to fulfill his promise. Now, he waited for years, and he had his questions. He had his doubts, right? That he would receive the son. And God fulfilled that promise. And then God comes to him and he says to him, Okay, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. You're going to be the uh, father of kings and nations. Kill your son. And you're going to hear in Hebrews how he could offer him up. Because... He understood that God's promises are as good as fulfilled, so that even if he asked him to kill his son, he must be able to raise him because from Isaac he was going to be blessed. Faith holds on to God's promises despite every railing against them that our own, our own hearts may do. Right? It's, it's not usually the world that messes with us on them. We, we can counter the world's attacks and assaults on our faith, but it's our own hearts that waffle, that waver, that, that struggle. Can this mercy be for me? Well, faith comes to the promise. All who come to me I will in no wise cast out. And it holds on to that. Um, any other promise that it comes to, it holds on to that. And so they they held on to them as if they were already done. They were as good as done. And their lives were transformed by it. Listen to, to Sinclair Ferguson. He He speaks about faith. And he speaks about it in terms of a, a father and a child. Um, he says, you, you know, A man goes into a child's room and they're supposed to be asleep and they're sitting up and they ask, and you ask, What's wrong? And he says, Well, all the other kids are getting bikes this year and I don't know if I will. And he says, The father says to them, You will get a bike for your birthday this year. Now go to sleep he walks out of the room and he comes back not even two minutes later and the child is asleep just snoring away soundly why he says because his father has promised him the bike and the bike was as good as his and so that's the picture the description of faith that we get here that 's what the writer to Hebrews is saying that that this is how we experience the reality of faith. Faith is not some leap in the dark that 's fideism right that's that's Philosophy, that's not thats not faith. Faith isn't stepping out into the dark, the great unknown. No, faith is resting on the promises of a... a well, hanging the unknown future on the promises of a known God. I do not remember who said that. But if you like, you can sign my name next to it because it sounds good, doesn't it? Well, that's what faith is. Hanging an unknown future on the promises of a known God. God. It's not a a blind leap into the dark. It's holding on to the promises of God as they are set out before us in Scripture. Knowing that they are as good as fulfilled for us. For the very simple reason that God, a faithful God, a covenantal God who makes promise, has made them to us. And so as we look at the people in the hall of faith, you notice that they're never locked into their own flights of imagination. They're not locked onto um, experiences. Because faith isn't the ability to imagine things, right? That's what what the charismatics would have you do. Just imagine your bank account with this amount, amount in it. Or imagine certain things. That's not faith. That's idolatry. Right. No, that's, that's not what faith is. It's resting my soul on what God has promised to do. And that's why we can rely on them, because God is the one who promises them. It's not my own imagination. If I rested on, on my own thoughts and, and having God actualize those, it'd be fickle. They would never stay the same. And they would never be for my best. No, faith is resting on God's promises. It's a promise that we are given to hold on to. When we're cast down in the dark. When we're in the depths of despair. When we're in depression. When we have a diagnosis. We have His promises. We're not left to wander aimlessly. We have His very Word. John Newton gets it right, doesn't he? The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. That's how we find faith. That's the description here. It is the conviction or the assurance. It's the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction... Of things not seen. Now remember, he's writing to those who have been brought out of a system of sight. Right? They were supposed to be looking through it, but they instead fixed their eyes on it. And they set their eyes on what they could see. And the slaughtering of bulls and goats and a priest going in before them. That system that was dominated by what could be seen: the burning of incense, the lighting of fires, the slaughtering of an animal, placing your hands on its head, the splashing of blood on the sides, the the lighting of the candelabras. Uh, all of those things that were there. They had a temple. They had high priests. They had priests. Um, the the Old Testament, I think someone said it was was like a pop up picture book for for the Old Testament saints. It set everything before them in sight. But they were signs and shadows of the fullness of God's covenant of grace, of the gospel that is to be seen in Christ. Because deep down beneath all of those types and shadows, there was always a deep-seated conviction of things not seen. Those who those who saw by faith through beyond the bull that's before them, they knew that that bull was not sufficient. That's why they had to offer another one, and another one. They knew by faith that the Lord was sending the one to come, and so they were always looking through, looking beyond. And so our writer, the writer of Hebrews, is emphasizing that these these forerunners in faith, they lived trusting God to do what they would not see with a natural eye. Right? Think about Noah. Hadn't rained. You're in the middle of an arid place. And God says, I'm going to send rain. Build a boat. And so he acts on God's word. That's, That's what faith is. He hadn't seen it. There hadn't been flooding like this. There hadn't been anything along these lines. And yet he believes God. And so they go forward seeing the visible in light of the invisible one. Right? Isn't that what faith is? Walking in the world of the visible on the word of the one who is invisible. And that's what they do. And that's why there's so many bad ideas about heaven, right? That's why people have paganized heaven and made it after their own liking because they're trying to make that which is invisible to us like that which is visible to us. They don't trust God that when He says He has something far better in store for us, No, no, they are trying to make it the best of what they see now. That's the opposite of faith. That's a flight of fancy. And so the hallmark of believers is that we begin to view the visible in light of the invisible, Ferguson says. Uh, I don't remember where he said it, but it was fantastic. The hallmark of believers is that they view the visible in light of the invisible. In other words, we live our lives not on the basis of what we see with our eyes, but we set our, we set our sights on what is invisible, on the basis of what God says in His Word. You know what Colossians 3 says, right? Set your, set your minds on the things above and not on things that are on the earth because Christ is there. And so you, you keep seeking the things above. And so you do so as you walk by faith. And you frame your life in this visible world, by the invisible promises of God, by the, by the commands of God. And so when we live that way, we live like those who are listed here, uh, who, who do not look at all like the world, do they? I mean, think about it. Noah starts building a boat, and they castigate him, right? They they make fun of him. He's a preacher of righteousness. Abraham pulls up from everything he's ever known. He's obviously a wealthy man. Pulls up and takes off because, well, the one who's invisible said to the one who is visible, go. And he goes. And so you're going to see that as we actually make our way down and through. They were resting in the promises of God. And so that does bring us to the fellowship of faith, which you're going to see throughout the rest of the chapter and into chapter 12. But verse 2, For by it, by what? By faith, the men of old gained approval. Now, he's already given us a glimpse of what's coming. right? He, he did that back in, in chapter 10. At the end, he says, For we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And now he's talking about faith. By it, the men of old gained approval. And so we belong to that great company. If he's going to encourage you... To not shrink back, to not fall away, to not follow after the types and shadows which those who are trying to persecute you are pressing you into. If he's saying, don't go to that, well, how's he going to encourage you? Well, Abel walked by faith. Well, Noah... Walked by faith. Abraham walked by faith. Moses' parents, he mentions them first, walked by faith. Down the line, you get all of them as they are there. Isaac, Jacob, and then he goes on and he tells you, we don't even have time to tell you of all of those who have walked by faith. They walked listening to, holding on to, clinging to the promise of God. And since we do what they experience, right, it will be remarkably similar to ours. Since we walk by faith or are to be walking by faith, our experience is going to be similar to theirs. Now I'm not saying that God's going to tell you to pull up your family and move, uh, you know, to a land he's going to show you. No, that's not that's not the case. He's already had His final revelation. How is He going to tell you? Well, in His Word, you are told how to live. In His Word, you were given all of His promises. And in His Word, you were told exactly what will come to pass. If they hated Me, they will hate you. Now, Jesus isn't saying something new. Uh, He's pointing back throughout all of history, redemptive history. They've always hated My people, right? They hated Noah. Abraham was not. Uh, he never was. Uh, he never settled into a land. They almost wouldn't sell him. He had to bargain and barter and do everything he could to get a little six by six plot of land, or however large it was, to bury his wife. Right. And so then you will walk in the same way. Your experience will be the same. Now you will experience the the reality of the promises of God being yours, even though they are not yet fulfilled. We are looking for a new heaven and a new earth, right? We understand that Christ is going to return. We, We walk toward that end, and we know that there is a city, a country, a place greater than what we see with our eyes. And if you go around telling people that, You'll find yourself right where Noah was. Right? You'll find yourself right where all of those who walked were. And that's what we're called to do. Right? We're called to tell other people that we live for an invisible city given to us by an invisible God in His Word, and we hold on to those promises. And the world will look at you like you are nuts, because they are saying that all that they can see is all that there is. And that's foolishness. And that's why He gives verse 3, which seems out of place, doesn't it? Now, you may say, well, it's just a start of faith, and so He gives creation. Well, no, that's, that's part of it, but it's the context that he's giving us by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made of things which are visible. Now, I'm going to put this back to you again faith is not mindless, it's not a leap in the dark, it's resting on God and His word and His promises. And then he gives us this statement of creation It seems out of place. Makes you pull up and think. Um, the, writer, the writer of the Hebrews is saying something like this. Why, why would you think it's so strange that, that the invisible is more real, more solid than the visible. A God who is invisible spoke and out of nothing. That which was not there before was made visible and is there. So that that which is invisible, God, and all that He has for us and all that He declares is more solid than just what you can see with your eye. You can rest on His Word more than you can rest on the earth beneath your feet. Um, And so then, that which is visible has been brought out of that which was invisible. So why would you doubt the Word of God when by that Word, this world was brought into being out of nothing? And by that very word, He upholds you at this very moment. Right? By the word of His power. We read that all the way back in chapter 1 when we were there. And so if God is able to bring out of nothing the things which are, He's able to keep His promises. Right? That's nothing to Him. He spoke all that is into existence, so he is able to do all that he says. Don't waver. Don't go back. Don't look to anything else. And the reality is this he's already kept the most difficult promise that he made, he gave his son. He did not spare him, but gave him up for us all, so that he will also with him graciously give us all things. If he's already done that which is most difficult, the rest is nothing. Hang your hope there. He brought out of nothing that which is, and he's going to do everything else that he's promised. And so that's the description that do you have here? So here's the question. As we go into this chapter, as we begin considering it and looking into it and discussing faith, you say, okay, do I have this faith? Well, here's where you begin. Your faith doesn't begin with what is seen. Right? Your faith begins with the promise of God. And the promise of God is first given in Genesis chapter 3. And then it's followed up. And you have the rest of the Bible working it out. Faith begins with the promise of God concerning His Son. Do you have faith? Well, are you being driven to Jesus? Are you being pushed back upon Him at every point? so that you're not tempted to turn back to that which is visible. Okay, okay, I know that God loves me. If Well, if this check doesn't bounce and and my bills are paid and I clear with maybe $3 in the bank, right? That's not God's sign of love. His sign of love is that He's fulfilled the promise and sent His Son. Faith drives you there. Not to what you might put down and make tokens. Oh, no, God gives you His tokens. You don't get to set those. And so then, that's the question. What's faith? Am I being pushed upon Christ? Because all of these have been driven by the promise of God. And they are all looking, well, to His provision. So that when Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide, it's not talking about stuff and things, it's talking about the Lamb. That would be His Son. And so that's why He declares everywhere that He goes, by building an altar, God will provide. That's why it's that way throughout the whole Scripture. And so as we look at this, understand that this is a description of faith to bring us in, that our experience is going to be similar. It's not going to be easy. There will be trials. We will struggle. There will be difficulty. And we may not see it in our time, the return of Christ. But the very moment your eyes close in death, well, they're opened and faith is made visible. And so you may not see it in your lifetime but you will see it. And faith causes you to thrust yourself upon that promise. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.